sometimes life is just a short distance. Point A to point B. It's <laughs> oh, Okay, so uh, the next match, and this is what I like to call China Part 1 of 3, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, X-Pac versus Owen Hart, which on paper, you don't have to know the stipulation if there is one. Nope. You don't need to know what the backstory is, what nope. the storyline is, the angle, it doesn't matter, because those two are going to put on a fucking clinic. And they did. Uh, and they absolutely did. The match was excellent. Uh, it was just a lot of aggression. It, it felt, what would you say, uh, a blood feud? It felt yeah. more like a blood like feud, a blood feud. <laughs> than yeah. the previous match. I mean, yeah. this is not the first time they've wrestled each other at the King of the Ring pay-per-view. Mm. Much less the first time they've wrestled each other, period. They've been all over the place. And this is this is the catalyst to the DX Nation feud of the summer of 98. The very next night on Raw, we'd get the, one of the most infamous Raw segments ever where DX impersonates the nation. Yeah, we, 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 that's a time when people apparently still think it's cool to do blackface, and it's never okay. No, it never was, never isn't, and never will be. Uh, and there's a reason why when they play all the millions of moments from wrestling, that one isn't in there. That being said, you still remember when you first watched it. Because, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. 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 You remember? They, like, they fucking did that. They just did that. That was uh, a real hard-hitting match. It was. It was. Oh, yeah. It was a hell of a match. match. Start Excellent. to finish. It was fast. I mean, those guys can fucking work. Oh, uh, it, and it was textbook execution, like start to finish. And both of those guys, I mean, if you look at them in their peak, they're just so fun to watch mm-hmm. as wrestlers, as a yes. wrestling fan, because they're fast, but they're technical. And they're not, they're not like overly technical. Um, but it was just those two guys in that time, was, it was a great time to be a wrestling fan because like that's what textbook wrestling was about. It wasn't like, hey, we're this, we're these giant egos, these giant guys in the ring, they're just two young, fast guys getting it done. 100%. I think, yeah, and we would be remiss not to mention that these are two guys that are really, of all the guys that are a holdover from the new generation era, mm. the previous generation, this is exemplary of the two guys that made the cut. That's right? a good point. Because Owen's, uh, Owen's there. Brett's gone. Uh, British Bulldog, gone. Right? Ahmed Johnson, gone. Goldust, not on this show. Uh... Uh, Shawn Michaels gone, right? But yeah. sh- but the one two three kid and Owen Hart, <laughs> the one, they two, remain three, right because of shit like this. And uh, why I like the match a lot is because it gives you the it, what it does is it la- plays into both of their strengths. Owen being the smarky technical heel that is so good that you basically gotta hate his personality, not anything else he does. And Sean Waltman, who fucking sells. One of the best people to watch sell and just sell all match. And then he fires up like lightning quick and does a lot of damage that looks sometimes sloppy, but that's because he's he's selling in the middle of doing it. You're not supposed to hit a picture-perfect super kick every single time you do it. You're doing it out of desperation. 
And the match only question really kind of reminds you that it's the Attitude Era when Mark Henry shows up, yeah. right? Yeah. It's 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 always interesting. Kind of, I, I've really enjoyed that we've been since we've been doing this podcast, being able to go back and look at some of these older matches again, because I always had the impression of of Sean Waltman as being that little yippy dog from Looney Tunes yep. mm-hmm. that was always with Spike. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, Spike, come on, Spike, let's go get him, Spike, let's mm-hmm. get him, Spike, I'm gonna get. Him. Ooh, like Spike got knocked out, and ooh, Spike, you know. Yeah. But I I really just I, I really didn't appreciate him for how good he really was. Uh, during this time, because a lot of these older pay-per-views, we, we're always talking about how well he steals the show. Yeah. And I feel like this is really the point in the pay-per-view that it actually starts to matter. Yeah. That's Absolutely. Yeah. I think without the match that everyone knows is coming up, coming up in this match, you could probably say this is the best ma- in-ring match of the, of the night. Definitely. Even more than the King of the Ring final. I just think this match gets overshadowed by what we know is happening. But at the time, taking it in a vacuum... Uh, it's very appreciative. There's been so many times when we cover these shows from this era and our little, like our brief foray when we did uh, Survivor Series 98. We did In Your House 2. We're like, oh, okay. One of these two guys is usually in the match that we keep going on about. Yeah. About in the match, and it, it stands out here. My only big gripe is that, okay, so you have you have Mark Henry show up, which is awesome, right? Because you're like, ah, there's, there's somebody who still literally is relevant in wrestling today. And then who's the foil to Mark Henry? Vader, who was quickly losing relevance in wrestling, which at is that such time. a shit. Yeah, it is a shit. Star was fading at that it, point. Super. It, it had faded at SummerSlam '96, yeah. and it was just like puttering out I mean, at this point. In Vader's defense, it had been 15 years since Return of the Jedi. Oh, oh, oh very only, nice. Only. Your sister. Um, but uh, no. But ironically, the um, the match, the difference maker is not Mark Henry, and not Vader, but it's the fact that despite being the babyface. <laughs> Outside interference. Yeah. From whom, Doc? Uh, I believe that would be China. Yes. Yeah. This this starts the uh, China block. Yeah. yeah. China part one. This of is three. where China starts to really earn her paycheck. Yeah. yeah. Comes yep. in, gets the DDT, starts her feud with Mark Henry. It does. I think ultimately, like you, I had a love hate relationship with Sean Waltman my entire life. With the exception of like the first year or so of his WWF run, because oh, yeah. he was so over as the one as the and, kid, and he looked like know? thirteen, yeah, and like you could relate to him. He's young, you're young. Like how old is he really? Internet, you didn't know how old no, he you was. Didn't know at that time, no. and he was he was pretty young. Um, <clears throat> and as I got older, and he still looked the same damn age, <laughs> but then he started getting the scruff, but it didn't fit, and then he became he, he turned heel with a million dollar man, and I didn't like it. Was like it was like I started getting into go away heat. I started yeah. transitioning into, I don't fucking like this guy. And he was good, but I couldn't get with him because he irritated me. The yippee dog thing, man. Yeah. And then with the WCW run, I couldn't fucking stand six. It's I not, didn't like, he didn't fit the NWO, no. but he did fit. But he didn't. Yeah. I, I, can I tell you what I think it is? Is it was, and it took me a long time of learning what it was. Cause I love Sean Moleman. And if I was like, there's one person in that I wish would get one more match today with all these guys getting one more match, I think he would. He with any of these guys that basically have been inspired by he and guys like Owen, mm-hmm. the, the smaller guys that just work their ass off and sell and go, that'd be incredible. But when he was a heel, he did this thing. He started doing it with the Million Dollar Corporation. He did it as six. He did it as heel X Pac in the X Factor. Fuck, where he goes oh, away. 
And he did That's this thing, and I apologize, sweet audio listeners, for not being able to do. But he would come out to the ring, and he would keep his hands like above his head, and they would just dangle, and he'd go left to right, like he has like floppy dead hands. <laughs> and that was like he's like, oh yeah, I'm a heel. I got floppy dead hands. And he just come out with Nash. Floppy dead hands. He put his arms halfway above his head and he just flop around. Like and that's ma- what like he, he was. was a marionette. Yeah, like a marionette. Yeah, yeah. he just, yeah. just flop around and he's like in an obnoxious Komodo with a dollar sign on it. And then he's in a, in a six in the NWO. <laughs> then he's got Justin Incredible, which has never gotten anybody over. No. And Albert, but Uncle Cracker. Uncle like, what fucking the Cracker. Fuck? That right? whole. That stable was whole goddamn time. Are you okay? No. You just dropped Uncle Cracker. Did you pull Dude, something? I didn't do that. Vince McMahon Vince, did, yeah, that. Vince did okay. that shit. Vince McMahon's like uh. floppy hand, X-Pac, Gene Ch- Jorts, Just Incredible, A-Train, and Uncle Cracker. That'll make some fucking that money. That song sucked. <laughs> the stable sucked. Everything about that whole so gimmick, bad. that whole thing sucked. So. Uh, that's what I think it was. It was the floppy hands. I'm going to go with when, it. when he's a baby face, he's not doing the floppy hands, and you're like, oh, he's relatable. Why do I like him better? Yeah. Now, anytime we go back and review another pay-per-view, like as soon as we see that, we're gonna be like, "Fucking floppy I'm, hands!" I'm floppy thinking, hand. never noticed it before. All I'm thinking about is that scene in Team America: World Police, where he has to alert like the Team America people yeah. that the terrorists are coming, <laughs> and he's just got his hands up, but he's just kind of flailing around. I just now see Sean Waltman in, as that puppet. The underrated quote from Team America that I say to people: People say like, it's like that time of Team America, and I've learned in public to not just support this line out. <laughs> But it's, you would have put your finger in me. Like, nobody knows that as a line with Team America when that's what sticks out to me. Like, Team America, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you would have put your finger. Have Not you, great to yell at a shopping center. Any of you guys seen everything, everywhere, all at once? Not yet. Not yet. No. Man, well, you were doing yourself a disservice. Oh, my God, is there um, floppy Xbox hands listen, in Listen, I'm not going to give anything away. Put your finger in there. No, no, it, it has to do with the floppy hands. And I, it was when you see it, you'll know. It is, because oh, now I connect the two and I can't undo it. But it's a good movie. We'll I'm sure the li- listeners, if you've never seen this film, we will never cover it. Uh, Not for 20 years. At least. But it is an excellent film. It is an excellent nothing film. Nothing but good things. Nothing yeah. but good things. You know, Jones, I had a similar hatred for Sean Waltman in high school because a lot of the girls that I dated called me the one, two, three kid, and I didn't quite understand. I was going to say, why the call? <laughs> so... Well, it's because you shaved your eyebrows. I did. Well, only yeah. one, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just one. Yeah. Uh, incredible. But, you know, uh, incredible match. Uh, interesting snapshot of a time. Like we said, this would this would quickly round up. They'll be fully loaded next month. That's the end of that feud for them. And then X-Pac would go on the feud with Jeff Jarrett to elevate him. And mm-hmm. Owen Hart would go on to, to, to double down on the road sign thing. And, uh, and, and then we're off into the races. Yeah. Eventually, join with Jeff Jarrett, become a tag team for a bit. Yep. But, um, yep. So, okay. Now, we. I'm not going to... Listen, I got like two, a, two, a sentence and a half. Not even. I have a sentence about this. The Paul Bearer promo. Uh, the only thing I got out of it uh, is the, the beauty that Kane is is, is another uh, remnant of the legacy of The Undertaker's career. Uh, mm. That, like... And I could cover this in the main event, but, like, just... That's what I thought. Like, you know, it's cool that, you know... Undertaker's career was so important and so significant and impactful that a character that was designed specifically to feud with him had legs for so long. And that says a lot about Glenn Jacobs, obviously, the performer, but yeah. still, like, the character. Like, it makes no fucking sense. I, yeah, I, would, I agree with you. Um, 
there's a lot of I think Undertaker more than anybody else. There's a lot of spin-offs of that Undertaker yeah. idea too. And you can make an argument that, that Mick Foley's WWF run is a spin-off of the yeah. Undertaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but certainly Kane and certainly Paul Bearer and Kane went on to achieve his own level of greatness, and yeah. I think that's a testament to how strong a fucking Undertaker yeah. was. But that's all I have to say about that. I think the pro- the promo it was a waste of time yet again. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but well, it was what it was. You had you had to get a little bit of time though. Yeah. You know, I mean, they had a three hour pay per view. They had to they had to fill, well, they, and you know, the card wasn't exactly heavy. No, well, nobody with, knew with a lot of yeah. Nobody knew that the, the that they they thought they'd bought themselves enough time to where the regularly scheduled semi main event would go the length that they thought it would. Maybe a couple minutes over, they'd have plenty of time for the main event. Not that uh, the, the main event of the show would have to be dramat- dramatically reduced because the semi-main event had stole the entirety of the 90s. Yeah. So. <laughs> I like that, yeah. Well, you know, became part of the main event. The, the one thing I take away from, from Paul Bearer coming out is that, and, and you know, I, I kind of hope that WWE does this a little bit more now. Bring back fucking managers, man. Like, bring back, I mean, cool. Paul Heyman does such a great job, mm-hmm. obviously, with Brock and with Roman and you know, anybody else they put them with who really can't talk. But, I mean, you know, having having those guys out there that are just out there purely to kind of tell the story and to kind of keep the story moving get along. Get guys and over. Build, yeah, get guys over, build them up in, in a way that they're just not able to do on their own. Because, you know, look, we all, we all know that in the formulaic universe that WWE operates in right now that, you know, not all wrestlers are created equal because they're forcing these guys to say whatever the hell they can and these guys can't sell that bullshit most of the time uh, because it's not their own and at least if you got you know managers that can really maybe go out there and kind of push the stuff a little bit more i think it'll bring the product up a little bit so agreed agreed there's yeah. a lot of good talkers out there that don't need to bump and we'll see see what's going on out there all right well we gotta we got the second half of this show is uh, looking mighty fine now, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Going forward. Well, you still got to get past one match. That yeah. It, listen, it's not a bad match. It, you know, New it's Age Outlaws and versus the Midnight Express, or the new Midnight Express. I think that's what they were calling themselves, right? The new Midnight Express? They were. Because Lord knows the death kiss to anything in wrestling is to stop the word new in front of it. <laughs> the new rockers, yeah. The new rockers, the new Midnight Express, the new Truth Commission, you know. The only things that aren't that, the new age. Well, I was gonna say the only two things were there were are the age outlaws, which you could make them new, and the <laughs> world order, which you could also make it new. That's it. So, um, I think this match was fine. Uh, I feel like it was. It, it didn't. I don't. I don't remember obviously the build up to it. I don't know how much was kind of going on to kind of get to this point to the pay per view. I'm sure there was, you know, maybe some promos of some backstage stuff potentially. But it was really like a lost opportunity to have the brother face off against the brother. You know what I mean? Bart and Billy. Yeah. Uh, they had a little face off, but there's so little heat yeah, behind it. Yeah, there was just it. a taste of it, but that was all you got in the middle of the match. If they, had, if they weren't going such full speed ahead back in those days, it would have been excellent if they had taken some time to build between the two a little mm-hmm. bit more. So then when that face off happened in the, the pay per view, the crowd really would have felt it. Because I thought it was pretty cool. The crowd didn't really react a whole lot. No, the crowd, no. this was the second Here We Go Steelers, Here We Go <laughs> chant in the pay per view. The one during the very first match with uh, the Headbangers. They were just Taka getting it out. Versus Kai and yeah. yeah, but, um, you know, my, my only really notes that I had about this one was that um, I fucking love the New Age Outlaws mm-hmm. intro. Uh, this was uh, this the, during the Attitude Area. I kind of Attitude Era. I kind of got back involved with WWE, 
And one of the first things that I ever just loved was the New Age out the New Age Outlaws intro. Hmm. And I marked for that so hard when they did it. I just thought it was great. The crowd loved it. You know, it's something the crowd can say at the same time that you're saying it. And there's nothing. There are two things that audiences love in wrestling more than anything else. Number one, having their city said by one of the wrestlers. <laughs> yes. We're going to go ahead and have a great time here tonight in Pittsburgh. Ah, take my tits now, wrestler. Cheap pop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, having something that people can just repeat along with you while you do it, it makes you feel as the audience yeah, a part, you're part of, of the experience. You're part yeah. of the experience. And just fucking that intro was just so fucking over for me. It still is. It still is. You can't watch it, wa like, like watch it and not smile a little no. bit. No. And the first wrestling t shirt I ever had was New Age Outlaws nope. because of that. And I, I, it's such an interesting idea that that's something that doesn't really exist in wrestling these days. And nope. I feel like because catchphrases and audience participation reached a zenith there in, in the late 90s and in the early 2000s, that we don't really, we don't see it because people don't want to be perceived as, oh, I'm just rehashing something that's yeah. old. But really, it's been over 20 years, man. I'm going to bring up an interesting point that just kind of clicked. What? Okay, I think... It's interesting, you're bringing up a really, both of you guys, a really valid point of the importance of the audience participation yeah. and how we don't have it anymore. We don't. But we do, but because the audience forces it. Because they, we have been so conditioned for so many years, like that's such a part of wrestling that, you know, Seth Rollins, people chant along with his music, the, oh, yeah. but, you know, or um, uh, Glorious, yeah. or uh, Nakamura song. Like, they find a way. They do. To get the, audience the, participation. When the gaming they king comes out, the crowd yeah. turns around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, and they're still there. And I mean, and, uh, Paul Heyman. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Paul yeah, Heyman. But that's what I mean. Like, right? it's 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 still there, but it's not necessarily by design. But no. it's but it's more organic, which is still, I think, is just as cool. But, I mean, there was a time in wrestling, not only just with the Outlaws and the Oh Hell Yeah and Smell with the Rock is Cooking, but there was a point where the Undertaker just said three words. Rest. And he would do it so slow that in, and then by the time he got the piece, everyone in the building said, rest in peace. What a silly idea. But it worked, and it gets people invested. But, yeah, um, this is a snapshot of a time that's really hard to explain to someone who didn't live through it. Because here you have the New Age Outlaws, who are clearly over. But they're newly minted babyfaces. They've only been mm -hmm. babyfaces for two months, if that. Because they joined DX the night after WrestleMania in March. Here we are three months later in june and they're now baby faces uh but their finish their tag finish is a stun gun which is a heel move they drop your neck across the rope right they're feuding with one of the worst thought out <laughs> ideas in history jim Cornette's like i know what's gonna get over we're gonna get fucking the nwa over that most of these people don't even understand because they're fucking yankees and why I hate you, Yankees. Why do you make Jim Cornette sound like Mickey Mouse on ha, Helium? Ha, I've got an idea. Orange Cassidy can go fuck himself. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Have sex with my wife. Ha, ha, ha. What's the matter? You don't want to fuck her? Ha, ha. I will say this. If you're a wrestling fan long enough, you have a Jim Cornette impersonation. You got a Dusty impersonation. You got a Vince impersonation. Mm -hmm. You got a fucking Jim Ross, Jim Cornette impersonation. You know. And mine is so god-awful terrible. I, I not dare. No. Give people ammunition. I just make mine a slightly racist Mickey Mouse, and then there we go. It plays. But uh, yeah, so this match wrapping it up here. Um, this is a vehicle to buy the Outlaws time until we get into our to our SummerSlam style feuds, and, uh, and then we're on to the King of the Ring final.
Okay, so uh, we are sitting here. We're looking at the last match of the King of Ring tournament. Mm. Which, oddly enough, for the pay-per-view of King of the Ring, it is the third from the end match of the pay-per-view. Yep. Yeah. And not the main event. Nope. No. They seldom, except for the first King of the Ring pay-per-view, the King of the Ring main event never became the main event again. No. Nope. It's not necessary. You know what? And I love it because Hogan was not allowed to go on last in that first King of the Ring show. That's right. He wasn't. Brett finished that. That's right. He's like, right. you fucking took WrestleMania away from me. You son of a bitch. Um... So. And I, um, I, first and foremost, man, does the Rock ooze cool? Oh, he's cool too. Um, he's and, badass. You know, once again, Shamrock with his deer and headlights slash crazed rabbit dog look in his eye coming <laughs> down to the ring, look like he doesn't know where he is, <laughs> but he's gonna go hurt somebody in the ring. That's all he knows. Um, <clears throat> the match was good. I think, you know, I love that. The Rock had so much heel heat until the People's Elbow, and it just the crowd just went, "Yeah, it's time. Let's 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 pop for this." Yeah, um, the people wanted the elbow. They got yep, it. Yep. You know, and and you know we've talked about this before, but it, I think it's just it's so fascinating that like well, although especially in 1998, no one if you watched wrestling for any length of time, you knew The Rock was going to be some level of a big deal. Yep. You knew he was going to be a big deal. You didn't know how far he'd go, but you knew he was going to be potentially in the main event picture at some point, the way he was rising up. But to have a move that's so utterly silly get over so huge... It is a weak-ass move, but it, it, it makes the crowd pop every single time without yeah. question. It, it's just it's just like I, I liken it to you know the DDP effect. And DDP was charismatic. He was a pretty good wrestler. He wasn't bad at all. But the fucking diamond cutter, man, got him over so hard with everybody. Whether you even liked WCW that much. There's there's a lot to be said about a wrestler and his finishing move and, and what that finishing move represents. Because, you know, the people's elbow, not the finishing move, right? It's the rock bottom. But to get the audience involved, again, going back to the aspect of getting the audience involved, you know, when you sit there and the guy's in the middle of the ring and you're staring out at the crowd and every time he does it, man, that crowd stands up. You just, you watch, they have that wide shot every single time yep. this thing happens behind the rock and you see the crowd just stand up and throw the, the elbow pad into the crowd, hit it, crowd goes, but it, it's, it's again, it's giving the crowd something. It's it's way better than watching Roman Reigns fucking jerk off his wrist <laughs> before he goes to do the Superman punch. Because it's not like, I'm going to go ahead and come, uh, and then I'm going to punch you in the face. Because he sits there and he... That sounds like an interesting Saturday night. What, what was I saying? It sounds like a good time. Right? <laughs> yeah. Usually I pay extra for that. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize what I was saying as I said it there, it's guys. Amazing, but, you know, I love you. It's just clearly, clearly it was, that was in there. Um... But like he does it, and he, it's it's the same thing with Edge when he does the spear anymore because he sits there in the corner and he's like grabbing his hair and he's you know I hate when they're sitting there waiting to do their move. Like I like that the move has to be fluid in that case. So I think the attitude era really can be defined by the extreme finishing moves we had. We had the people's elbow, Shamrock had the ankle lock. Austin had the stunner, and of course, Vince McMahon had the non-disclosure agreement. Effective. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Effective. The hush money. And then the hush That's money. a secondary yeah. finish. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to pose a question to you, gentlemen. And it, like, listening, we're talking about the people's elbow and all that and, and, and finishing moves. And as we're talking about it, something clicked in my head that I don't think I've ever really thought of before. And I'm going to put this out here. Can you name five top 
not just mid-card, five top professional wrestlers across WWE, WCW, ECW who had legitimately two finishing moves. Double moves to, to beat somebody with. Mm-hmm. Because The Rock had the rock bottom people's elbow. Because, I mean, it was a period where, like, it was, the, it was only the rock bottom that yeah. was his food. And that the finish, people's elbow was just a thing he did. Then it became, like, yo, he could win with the people's elbow. He beat Hogan and Austin with the yeah. people's elbow. So, <clears throat> uh, triple, or, uh, Chris Jericho, okay. Codebreaker, and the uh, Walls of Jericho. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. It's a great question. I, I, have, I have a few I, already I, in my head. Well, Undertaker. Would you last ride, ride? Last ride in Tombstone. In Tombstone. Okay, there we go. I I would. I'm not going to count it on your list, but one could make an argument for Foley having the double arm DDT. But that that's, that's his face. Yeah. Is yeah. depending on what version of Foley you got depends on what finisher. So that's a crazy loophole. Um, I mean, that's 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 actually a really good point. That's Kurt really Angle. Point. Yeah. Yeah. The Olympic Slam and the Angle Lock. There's uh, not a ton of them. Hulk Hogan. The leg drop and, and overt racism. Well, I knew that was coming. Yeah, sorry. Uh, and then speaking of, ironically, good segue, Booker T. Uh, because though he's coming for Bo- for Hulk Hogan. We all know that he is. He had the scissor kick and the rock bottom. The, the bookend. Book book Excuse me. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, no. There but aren't too many. Becky no, Lynch no. has two, doesn't she? The man handles the disarm her, yeah. Here's my thing. And and this the is rock bottom. Again, another rest of right? the rock Here's bottom. the qualifier. Like, okay, yeah. Like, and they are top superstars. Booker T's a top superstar. Hall of Fame career. But the bookend. They tried. How many they matches tried. did he really win with the bookend and it was like over? Was it over uh, though? I will just say that he did the only reason I would put that in there is because he won the last WCW championship. On the final Nitro with the bookend. So, that's the thing. That's, a, that's well played. Yeah, That's about it. I, there's one other big one I will, I will say. I, Sting. Death, scorpion Deathlock and the Scorpion Death Drop. Yeah, but if you look at the annals of like some of the top wrestlers of all time, not many no. of them had two. No. It doesn't matter if you look at the annals or the anals. You're right. absolutely right. Now, on the flip side, how many or people... Or the vaginals? Actually, you know, whatever. The, the, the jellies. <laughs> hey, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. Hey. Doesn't really matter. Whatever it takes to put Triple H over, right? But then you have guys like Ric Flair who never beat anybody with their finishing move, but more than a few times, right? They just stayed out. So he always won with his, that trick knee he had from college. That, yeah, yeah, that trick knee. Love Damn it. you, Bobby Heenan. But yeah, the King of the Ring final. I mean, it served its purpose to get Shamrock over, but just nobody could have predicted, rightfully so, that it did not matter who. The Rock put over. The Rock was the star coming out of this show and that match, and would be forever, literally. Yeah. We got, since uh, then, we got some ringside commentary by Triple H. Some great we ringside did. commentary China Part from, Three from Triple H. China, China the Spanish and Espanol. That's yeah. right. We're available. Love that, man. We're available. Yeah. Like they're sitting there, it's like, well, China's over at the Spanish announce table, and she's having a full conversation with him yeah. in Spanish. And I'm like, I watched your Hulk movie on Pornhub. You can do that shit. No. Man, also featuring Hugo Savadovich. This is, I don't want to derail the conversation, but now we're talking about China. Oh, we're going there. Uh, Look, no. What? No. No. Um, (laughs) Not going to get there? No. So, uh, uh, the other day, I, I, you know, you go down the rabbit hole of YouTube and wrestling YouTube. And I came across uh, a match from, oh, God, I don't know if it was 2009, 2006. I, I honestly don't remember anymore. But China in, it was New Japan, fought Masahiro Chono. Itchy. And the match was fucking good. What's it? Look, I- I'll send you all links to it. You better. Like, I just saw, like, the thumbnail and, 
oh, look at China. She's in a wrestling match. That's New Japan. I'm pretty sure it was New Japan. And I watch it. It's like, like 13, 14 minutes long. But she works the style. She like, worked the song legit style. Against Masahiro fucking Chono, who's a big fucking deal in Japan. Right? He's still selling NWO t-shirts. He still is. Um, but it was just cool. It was, it was nice to see her work and actually do a really good yeah. job against a, a big-time star who made her look pretty good, actually. Yeah, she's I mean, taking she some good bumps. Her, she could hold her own in the ring. I mean, yeah, she, she she couldn't for a long time. Ask Chris it Jericho. It all depends on Ask the guy Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. We're talking, like, 1999, <clears throat> 2000 China was not a good wrestler. She just wasn't. Oh, no. Uh, but she had clearly improved over some time, and I just it blew my my mind that she was working so well. I think it's important, besides any other uh, any of the piss we would take out of it, uh, it's important to just kind of note that despite that she wasn't very good in the ring, uh, it was an important trailblaze. Oh, right for socially for wrestling in general. I mean, it's like the idea looking back now that we had so much misogyny and racism and just com- and blackfacing and all of this stuff happening on the but Attitude Noah, Era. those were the times. <laughs> but those were the days. Well, those but, were the days. Yeah, but in the same sake. respect, too, they put a woman in the Royal Rumble and, and they uh, she won the Intercontinental Championship and she was legitimately over. And she provided a role model. So for you got to you got to shine some, some lift up the good right there, and they they did some good shit with China, and it really set. Oh, the she, I, I, look, I was a fan of China. You know, like who wasn't? Uh, who, who wasn't? Like, oh, I don't fucking like. No, she was cool as hell. Well, yeah, you know, it's amazing that as we kind of talk about this because even before we started recording the podcast, there, dear sweet sweet Peruvian listener, succulent. Uh, we were talking about Fuck you how with uh, the recent uh, SummerSlam with Bailey coming back, and you know, rumors of WWE bringing back Naomi and Sasha. That the women's division is the strongest it's ever been. The strongest it's ever been probably in any wrestling promotion. Exactly. Yeah, it's been pretty strong for years now. Yeah. Because of stuff like that. But I mean now, I mean once you said like when Charlotte comes <clears> back, <throat> you've got, as long as everybody's healthy, you've got the whole deck yeah. that you have the ability to kind of play with. And look, I'll make the argument that I'm probably more interested in watching those matches right now than probably half of the guys in the WWE mm-hmm. because they all really fucking want it. Like they really want it. And um, you look back at the breadcrumbs that have gotten us here, mm-hmm. and none of it happens without China. Yeah. No, without China, there's no, no Beth Phoenix. Without Beth Phoenix, there's no women's revolution. There's no Rhea Ripley. <laughs> Fuck. There's no Rhea Ripley. There's no Natalia, who's the one of the architects of the women's revolution. Now, here we are. That women have main evented WrestleMania two or three times now at this point in the last, yeah. in the last five I, years. I have, I have gone on last watched on entire pay-per-views where I enjoyed the women's title match more than I enjoyed the men's title I think match. at that summer, yeah, at, that, at the recent SummerSlam, that the Becky Lynch-Bianca Belair match was probably one of the top two or three matches of the uh, So good. If not the it top. Was so good. It was excellent. Yeah. No, I, I think it's just, it's, it's excellent. I think there was a time, if you could say, pick, and, and we know booking has its way of ruining this, but for a time in wrestling, you I'd ask you who's the most over person in the entire wrestling business, and you would have said Becky Lynch. The man was big time over. true. And you would have not not the most over woman, the most over person. And in 1998, you would have said bullshit, right? Yeah. The, the, even I mean, though honestly, Sable was super over, super huge, but you were like, oh, but Sable's in in Austin, all that stuff. No, no, and, and I think it's on the back of important trailblazers like China. That being said, uh, she was way too much all over the show in three back to back segments. Yeah, she owned this segment of the show. Yeah. Uh, I do want to point out, as we mentioned, Triple H coming in to, you know, basically um, run his mouth. for Still get himself over. Oh, and he did. Uh, But uh, there was a line that I had to write down, (laughs) and and I quote, uh, as I'm listening to this, and I just went, Jesus Christ, did Triple H just say he's bisexual? So I rewound, and 
And I and to to go ahead and and uh, go off of a WWE trope from about yeah, 2010 or so when we had the uh, mysterious like GM with the, the raw GM yeah. yeah the raw GM what a time and I quote I'm a lot of buy things Lingle's not one of them <laughs> thank you Triple H <laughs> wait you, did I Bert. just say that <laughs> that's what I imagine his laugh is like. He's like, is this thing on? Testies, testies. <laughs> I also, I also had a note here that that Shamrock's uh, hair plugs were activated in this match. <laughs> Where? Like when he walked in, they were they leveled up. They were tingling. They were. You know, uh, I tried my absolute hardest in season one of this show to not get kind of political, but I'm going to in season two because I don't give a fuck you. I don't care fuck you. And I, he just said, it, "I don't give a out, fuck you." <laughs> I need that to be my new like text message notification. <laughs> I'll send I you a clip a of fuck it. You. I don't but, give uh, a fuck you. I realized as I was sitting here, Ken Shamrock, how Ken Shamrock looks when he's coming down to the ring and he's standing at the steps and he beats himself in the face and he's he's screaming, "Ah, I'm a tough man!" And, I, and he looks legitimately tough and badass and looks legitimate and scary. Then the, a lot of basic cis incel white guys on the internet when they write their comments picture themselves as the ken shamrock in that situation <laughs> right like right for the jugular he they went just, <laughs> they just lack the the uh, the, the hurricane rana they lack the hurricane rana or the size or the actual danger the general badassery or the general badassery <laughs> or, or the purpose really. or the yeah. sex appeal but neither male or female or the purpose in life or the job or the general idea that no matter what they did contribute to a legacy in some manner of passion. Yeah. Or the pecs. Mostly the pecs. Mostly the pecs. Mostly the pecs. But yeah. they got I got the plugs though. They do got the plugs. Yeah. They do got the plugs and that undeserved sense of anger. Like that's gonna get them somewhere. <laughs> Those two things, you guys got it. Yeah, fuck you. You guys got it though. Fantastic. This has been a weird ride. Yeah, we're um, getting there. Yeah. But speaking of weird um, ride, and Shamrock wins. He yeah. does. And yeah. you know yeah. what? No one cared. Nobody yeah. cared. What's interesting is so they did, but not. Yeah. So he was the first face to win in five years. So they've always given it to a heel because a heel can carry it and sell it mm-hmm. carrying forward. And it felt like after this pay-per-view, like, okay, Ken, you're the king of the ring. Like, carry that. And then you just forget that he's the king of the ring. Yeah, yeah. it was just such a... It didn't matter, unfortunately. In all due fairness, just to kind of add into that, 93, they're like, Bret Hart, you're the king of the ring. This is your consolation prize for Hulk Hogan being Hulk Hogan. Fucking you out of WrestleMania. But we're going to let you go on last. But then we're going to immediately launch you into a program with Jerry the King Lawler, who's offended that you're calling yourself the king. Then every other heel is going to take a king gimmick after this because it's an easy way to boo somebody. Mm-hmm. There's never been a king in wrestling that's over as a babyface because who would ever cheer for a king? We're Americans, goddammit. I blame <laughs> 1776. There it is, right? Everyone had a little bit of tea at Boston Harbor. Now here we are. So every <laughs> single person, and then you give it to a babyface, what are they going to do with that? Have Ken Shamrock like, punch himself in the face with a scepter? He would have if he had asked him to. He's no what? King Mabel the Purple Couch. No, the Purple Couch... Shattering faces and breaking hearts all over 1995. Uh, can we admit that? And before uh, we get too much further, that after Brett 
basically it's Bret and Owen were the only two that did anything with the King of the Ring until Austin. You know, in that, that general. And Austin, and Austin did, didn't do anything. No, with no, it. I, it, it just it, propelled the him. promo at King oh, of the Ring. Did the it. promo yeah. did everything. Yeah, yeah. In that in his career, even Triple H was King of the Ring in '97, and no one gave a shit. No right? Gave, ask Billy Gunn who gave a shit. No, when a king. No, the only person who really benefited from being King of the Ring after Austin, or even, even just carrying around calling themselves King of the Ring, was angle because he had just had that monster year where he had won everything why not give him that just to make him even more unlikable and it worked yeah and then lesnar just because that was the last king of the ring and they basically made it that whoever win would go to SummerSlam and fight the rock and then he became brock lesnar bear climbed inside some human skin <laughs> got a shitty back tattoo that no one will ever tell him about Became Brock Lesnar and then got a shitty chest tattoo that no one would no ever about. He has a giant penis on his chest. He has a phallic and, and fucking, fucking image. We Don't all pretend him. like Don't it's fine. Him. It's fine. Okay. He will bury he might you be in here. a tractor. <laughs> it's right behind If you, you hear a tractor, fucking bail. <laughs> oh, he will lift his it, porch like the corner of the ring. And like nothing. And just dump us all out. And you'd be grateful for and it. And after that, I mean, I mean, Booker T. I maintain Booker T. Is probably the singular human being who made, who put... Had enough legs with that gimmick. It was oh no yeah, but it was uh, I would uh, then counter like that's the era of the TV King in the Ring, right? Not the pay per view King in the Ring. Like they just decided randomly to do it on a Raw or SmackDown one year. Like then even announced. Like, By the way, next week King in the Ring comes back. Then you're supposed to buy Wade Barrett as King in the Ring, or but Booker T didn't make yeah, it. That was one of the things that I kind of had as one of my notes from this match. Is you know whatever happened to the relevance of the King of the Ring? Like I understand his WWE grew. And they wanted to kind of like expand a little bit, but some of those things that like re- that, that that we gave a shit about in the early to mid '90s that was one of those really fun pay per views that that had a cool gimmick, you know, they just let go. Like I always worry about what happens, and they just get sick and tired of the Royal Rumble. You know, I, I know that'll probably never happen, but yeah. like you got rid of King of the Ring, you get rid of you know Survival Series is barely Survivor Survivor Series anymore. Right. No, yeah, it's not what it used to be. No. Sure. No, I think I think if the Royal Rumble wasn't, I didn't have such a fondness as being basically the second most talked about pay per view of the year. You know what I mean? I think they would have done that too. But no, uh, what what happens is is they use it for TV storyline purposes. I don't think it really became a draw for TV, so they they they, they buried it, and now they've sold it to the Saudis for blood money. Yeah, the, the so, relevancy of it. Oh, that's Saudi money, man. Significantly. So, speaking of blood money. No. And leaving blood and money out there and making it rain both. We are now at the reason that we're even talking about this motherfucking show for six hours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Took a while, but uh, we got here. Dan the Beast Severn? Dan the Beast Severn Just comes... his mustache. Now, dear listener, I can't possibly explain to you <laughs> the awesomeness that Danny Severn came out, his mustache came out, and just... Just started masturbating in the middle of the ring. Dan now, Severin th- walked into the ring and his mustache was already there for two minutes. It was. It was. He caught up to it, and just at the moment where you thought anything was going to happen, then Iceberg, the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, mascot, hopped the guardrail and tried to take down the mustache. And the mustache, well, it mounted him. And it was long and it was slow. And you know how, like, when wrestlers get on the corner and they do the punches and everyone counts to 10? <laughs> The people in Pittsburgh were counting the mustaches, thrusts, like, one, two, and it went on. They get up to 62 before the mustache. It didn't finish. It just got tired. <laughs> and it just left. You know what's the craziest thing about that whole experience? When Iceberg took his helmet off, like the, the, the hat off, yeah. 
it was Jean-Claude Van Damme. And we were actually watching the alternate ending like the sudden for death. fucking Sudden Death. Oh, which which may or may not be covered. That's definitely going to be covered on this show. How do we not cover Sudden Death on this show? But moving along, we're here now. Mustache sex aside. It's the Hell in a Cell match. The Undertaker versus Mankind. The, the reason why I was very confused by us doing this podcast, because we just kept referring to it as <laughs> Hell in a Cell, and I'm like, but no, it's King of the Ring, or is it King of the Ring? No, no this whole fucking pay-per-view was taken, everything in the 90s, was, as Joan said earlier, was taken over by this match. Yes. My, my, one of my favorite text messages ever was from Dave saying, wait, Hell in a Cell was part of King of the Ring. Like, it was on the same show. I I was I was like, just yes, beyond yes was. my memory of everything that happened in this pay per view, including the main event, is gone because all I fucking care about and remember is this, this match. match. Yep, no doubt. No, it's it's one of the most significant moments in the history of pro wrestling, and it happens. And you know, I first of all, if you're listening to this podcast, first of all, fuck you. Second of all, good job. Hello, welcome to the welcome to the Thunderbolt. We <laughs> Thunderdome, Thunderbolt, whatever. Uh, if you haven't seen this, just go watch it. You owe it to yourself. Yeah, just don't listen to us <laughs> babble about it. Go fucking watch it. There's almost no way that you have. If you're a wrestling fan, there's almost no way that you haven't seen some aspect of this. Where do you where? So this is one of those matches, guys, where like you remember where you were. Yeah. When this happened. Yeah. And I'm. It sucks that us, as big wrestling fans as we are, none of us were fucking there for no this. No one was Even there. Even though it was right in our hometown. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't live here. Yeah. You weren't hometown. there. But, yeah. but for, for like us... a different state. But we were children without the... jobs. Yeah. And yes. we could not afford yes. tickets. Our parents it's big, it's were thing. not going to take and us. And we invent time travel. We all know what we're going to be. But regardless. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if there is a... And I... God, I've thought about this a lot just because of this match. There is no way that I... I don't think I have the ability to really describe the importance of it. Like, you figure what? The match lasted, ultimately, in-ring action, not like the, the you know, the waiting and, you know, the, the gurning. The, yeah. There was probably, like, ten minutes worth of actual action in the match. Yeah. Maybe. If, if maybe. That. Right? But those ten minutes, like, are some of the most pivotal ten minutes in wrestling history. Oh, my God. Because it set a precedent that cannot be cannot be covered it cannot be surpassed safely without somebody dying yeah right what what undertaker mcfoley did what mankind did was the damnedest thing i still have ever seen in my life as a wrestling fan as, as a fan of entertainment no one has ever done something like that on that level and then continue to do more <laughs> no well you know the, the the thing like as you mentioned that jones to be done safely right yeah there have been higher stunts mm-hmm there have mm-hmm. been times oh, yeah. where Shane O'Mac and Jeff Hardy climb to unreal heights. But as they do the swanton or they do the dive off the speakers or they climb the, the jumbotron or anything, you can see how they are controlling their body exactly. very carefully to, because they're doing a stunt. What happens in this match with Mick Foley was not a stunt. It was... But also it wasn't. No. Because you, this was as close as you're ever going to get to that line between real and for show. Yeah. It reeks of real life is the way to describe it. Because we know now 
in in a painstaking detail how much damage it did to Mick Foley, mm-hmm. and how how real it was for people around who didn't know, and how really damaged he was. And it's interesting to me because since wrestling, and as we record this, um, just a little while ago was SummerSlam twenty twenty two, which the main event was pandemonium, weird shenanigans all over the place. But not one moment of that match did a bump feel unsafe. Or reckless, and yeah. it just was. And so, since then, we've been building up this perpetual human tornado kind of a situation where we do more and more to each other. But not since Mick Foley, and thankfully, uh, probably never again, did you ever get the impression that what this person was doing to themselves in this match and a few subsequent matches, uh, the street fight at Roy Rumble 2000 with Triple H is a great example, uh, and the Randy Orton match and all that other stuff, where he legitimately puts his own body in actual danger and does irreparable damage for the sake of a pro wrestling match. Everyone else is safe. Everyone wants to go home tomorrow. McFoley at one point in matches does not know where home is anymore yeah. because of because of those these moments and so it's a it, it, it was like a real thing. Yeah, that being and part said, of it too. I mean, you know, I remember watching it as a teenager and just being in like shock and awe of what is happening and how it's going down. And then watching it back all these years later, like, you still get those same feels, like, that pit in your stomach, like, I know he gets up, and I know the repercussions, but goddamn, how does he get up from that? How do you pull yourself up? Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the safety standards that are in the WWE right now, compared to then, Mm. like, if that match happened today, that match would be called dead. Right then and there. On the spot, because of safety, because of, you know, all the concerns with uh, concussions oh my and God, the yeah. damage that these guys have taken over the years and the bump, the stupid bumps that they've taken. But back then, they're just like, we're just going to go. Like, we're just going to keep going. And, uh, and you know, I've listened to a ton of uh, interviews and Q&As and stuff from Foley uh, since, you know, in the past six or seven years when he finally started talking about Yeah, opening up about stuff. Because he didn't talk about it forever. And the, the very first thing is, that afternoon, Vince is like, so you climbed up on the cage, right? Yeah. yeah. And he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I climbed up there. <laughs> and Vince is like, good, so like, you know what it feels like when you're up there. And Vince walks away, and he's like, I didn't climb up there. I'm not going if up If I would have climbed up there, when I got back down, I would never go back yep, up no. again. Like, it's terrifying. Because that man had common sense. <laughs> there is a lot to be he's said. He's like, so I just lied. There's a lot That's, to be said about not knowing how the sausage is made in a situation like that. Yeah, you know? but he's like, how how can you one-up the previous Hell in a Cell match? Which is still today. Which is still a great fucking match. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, how do we take it to the next level? And this is how we do it. And, I mean, it was fucking... Fucking Terry Funk. So why don't you start the match on top of the cell, Cactus? And he's like, maybe I should. <laughs> right? And apparently he worked no on the hesitation. taker for, yeah. for, like, days to get convince him to, him to do, do it. it. And yeah. he's like, no, I'm doing no. Well, there's that great shot right at the beginning of the match when Mick's already on top looking down at Taker. And then Taker's looking up at Mick. And you've got the lighting. And you kind of only see, like, a dark silhouette of Mick up on top of that. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of production quality to mm-hmm. what happened with this match that I think also lends itself to why this is so... Um, so fondly remembered by so many people. Because, yeah, when you kind of get past just the sheer holy shit moments of it, 
You've got, you know, they had all the cameras in the right place to they capture did. everything. Yeah. Fucking Ross's call. Legendary. Is oh. as as iconic as any call for any match, period. No, 100%. It's the, I will say, yet yeah, it is the most iconic call in the history of pro wrestling. And it's, it's that in a landslide by Country Mile. And when you think about all the times in wrestling that I mean, we, we always say WCW again and WCW, right? <laughs> yeah. That they'll have Every all these time. all these complication complicated things, and the camera will miss half of it, right? <laughs> yeah. And even today, WWE <laughs> will just randomly cut to a crowd, and it'll be a production snafu. There is not one damn production snafu in the, in the King of the Ring '98 Hell in a Cell match, and you catch every single thing, and they play it just enough times for you to be to cover the downtime. And then when they come out of the replays, they're telling you the story. Jim Ross is telling you that he's dead. McFoley's being stretched. You have Vince McMahon down there looking like he's breaking kayfabe. You have Terry Funk, who just got done feuding with McFoley, down there checking on his friend. You got Francois Petit, the 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 chiropractor dude down yeah. there, who which it's the only time it's very WWF in 1998. Like, oh, here's a chiropractor. He's our licensed medical physician. They're yeah. gonna have yeah. on there. Yeah, just crack just a couple back, of months. Just put break it, it just break it in there. <laughs> All while you have all this going on in the beginning part of this stage of this match, while the Undertaker is on top of the cell, they have to fuck. It's to me, it's one of my favorite parts in retrospect. They got to raise the cell with the Undertaker on it to get Mick Foley out on his stretcher, and the Undertaker. Be, and this is why he's the legend. It isn't the fact that he has great matches, which he does, and he's and he's made a gimmick that shouldn't have worked work for thirty years, which he did. It's the fact that his instinct was to not move. Mm-hmm. Not Don't move. move. Show zero expression. Yeah. And just fucking stare as menacingly as human possible and don't move and they're gonna raise the cage and you don't move and you get down and you don't move and when he starts climbing down and Mick goes back up he gets right back up there and at that moment nothing else had to happen and it, everyone's made yeah. made 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 well, made even made. he like he's so focused in the moment like he said when the cage started going up he didn't even know it was going up no he, he was just so focused on Okay, I might have just killed a dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's First what he, and foremost. And I think that was one of the things when, as we've seen, as his career has come, come to a close, we've seen a lot of the interviews with Undertaker. And that's one of the questions people ask him is, what were you thinking when you were standing on top of that cage? Like, I thought I killed him. Yeah. Uh, and to, to have, first off, to be an Undertaker and thinking you actually killed a guy. Yeah. <laughs> on, on fucking yeah. Nash, international TV yeah. that people paid 40 bucks to watch. Yeah. Um, is is just is just insanity. And what we're talking about here, dear sweet listener, and and if you haven't seen this, shame on you. Fuck you. Um, the match starts. Undertaker climbs the stage, or climbs the cage. Uh, they exchange some blows, and then Undertaker and McFoley at the edge of the cage. A minute, a minute a after minute, they both reach the top yeah, of that cage, throws his fucking ass off, and through the table. Right yeah. through the Spanish announce table. Yeah. Over the top. And then Jim Ross with the call of a lifetime. My God, they killed him. Good they God Almighty. Good, Good God Almighty. They killed him. They killed him. By God is my witness. He is broken, broken in, in half. half. And there is, there is nothing more Jim Ross than those few words. Because it stayed with you. Yeah. Because you felt that It's shit. the all-time greatest call in the history. Of, man, and it, and just a man reacting. Yeah. Just a yeah, man reacting. Says, yeah, yeah. yeah, he was no-selling it. Mm -hmm. like, and, that's just what it was. And at that point... A scene has been forever forged in wrestling history. It is on the Mount Rushmore yeah. of wrestling. No yeah. Hogan body slamming Andre, yeah. Undertaker throwing Mick off the top of the cage. You can argue the rest of the two. The other two are not moving. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I look, 
You know, and you know, you go back. I've, God, I've watched that match. I couldn't even tell you how many times I've watched that match or highlights of it, or just sat somebody down who's never seen it. Go, you got to watch this. You don't even like wrestling, but you got to see this shit. You know, getting thrown off the cell is a hell of a thing. Getting choke slammed through the cell is a hell of a thing. Getting getting thumbtacks involved is a hell of a thing. Mm-hmm. But there's of all the moments in that match, you kind of touched on it, but it had. It still to this day has it gives me an emotional reaction. Like I feel like in the pit of my stomach. And I as an adult now having watched it so many times, I can I think I can articulate a little better. Watching this man get thrown off a fucking cell like that. Being he's out. He is he is done. The match is over. Let's fucking yeah. clear this shit. Let's go home. Main event time, right? It's dangerous. People are scared. This man comes to on the fucking stretcher. This grown ass man who's been wrestling at that point for solid 10 years, close to, realizes that he's still in this match and says, I'm getting up. I'm pushing everybody aside. And he climbs his fucking cell. He's on autopilot. And the only thing that matters to Mick fucking Foley is to finish this match because these motherfuckers paid money to see him finish this goddamn match. His focus was to get it over the goal line. And watching him climb it, why would you climb it again? No. Watching it gives me goosebumps watching him climb it again. It's because you you stop being at that point just like a WWF superstar. You have now transcended now to something else. You're now a god in wrestling. Yes, I I, to kind of add into it. Yes. Because you could put pinpoint in a moment, ah, uh, WrestleMania 13, as the moment that Austin elevated himself. You can say, yeah, this, but there's ground. So Mick Foley had been spending 10 years at this point doing stupid shit all over the place with hopes that this would be the stupid shit that would make people remember me. This is the stupid shit that makes me a top guy and I earn top guy money and now I can. Be in because I'm not handsome, I'm not an athlete, I'm not doing a moonsault, I'm not doing all this stuff. This is a so stupid, doing stupid shit. And he is nearing the end. I mean, if you want to talk about it on his podcast, he talks about on the road to WrestleMania 13, a year before this, he thinks his career's over because he's just so banged up and mm-hmm. so broken that he's like, and so now he's in 98 and he's like, well, and he's now in habit of doing stupid shit. It just happened that here at this show, the culmination of his stupid shit becomes godlike like this is the kind of thing ancient peoples would watch somebody do and they go oh yeah we yeah we worship you on that mountain now by the way yeah we sacrifice this chicken to you You have your own monolith (laughs) now so it's important yeah so so jones i want to add a little bit of uh a little bit of um a little extra flavor to what you just said um how tall from the top of the cage 16 about 16 16 feet i think from the floor to the ceiling floor to ceiling all right so we're saying about 16, 17, 18 feet that he got thrown off yeah. of this thing, right? Now, the table he goes through, it's a standard size announce table. It's not like the table was made bigger so that Mick would hit it. It's not like they put a lot of extra padding down there so Mick would be cushioned that nobody was paying attention to. If he overshoots or undershoots that table in any way, shape, or form, he's fucking dead. Or paralyzed. Or Something. paralyzed, right? The margin of error was so minimal. And for him to be able to, A, agree to it, and B, have the wherewithal to know how to hit it without dying. Because you don't practice that. No. You can't practice. There's you no can't. rehearsal of that. You get you, it's one, one shot. shot. Yeah. Okay? Less than six minutes 
from the time that he goes airborne through that table to the time that he's getting up off that stretcher to go back up that ring. Mm -hmm. Six minutes. I've never seen it. I still, since then, have never seen anything like that. That that boggles my, that just baffles me. Yo, I got a paper cut. (laughs) I'm down for the count for like 10 minutes. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, Lynching. this motherfucker got thrown out a table. Lego uh, oh, in your God. bare foot. Yeah. And you're like, why, God, have you forsaken me? <laughs> <laughs> no, and just to add into the legendary moments of this goddamn thing, too. The, the, uh, this match, it's funny because you're like the urban legends and things. There's no urban legends in this match. It's just like the little yeah. tidbits that yeah. stack on. Um, when both of them are standing, they weren't. They did not engineer this cell well enough for two 300-pound men to be standing on it. To what you can see. Little twisty ties that are God just holding damn, the panels terrifying. on. It terif- that's what terrifies me. I'm like, oh, I get like my heart grips when I see them. Their legs start to sink through. And they said they could hear the sound. There every is. time one would snap. Mm. So, so this is always a question I've had about this match, right? That part of the cage where the twisty ties are breaking and you see Taker's foot almost goes through. You see it starts buckle. That is also the segment of the cage in which Mick Foley is choke slammed. It is not. It's not. Nope. We it's sure really. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They legitimately just shoddily twisty tied this thing all over the place yeah. on that. I think the whole top of it was zip tied. So we're also sitting here saying that that twisty ties hold about six hundred pounds. Shit. Yeah, at least nineteen ninety eight hefty. Yeah. Well, you figure oh. Mick Foley at that point was over three hundred pounds. Yeah. Undertaker's got now three hundred some yeah, pounds. Yeah, exactly. Even industrial ones, but you're not just talking. It's not just the weight. I mean, I'm, we're not here to give a rudimentary science lesson, but it's not just the weight of the two individuals. It's the force of the step and the give of the yeah. cage having in distribution of weight. So for sure. But for me, one of the harrowing moments. Obviously, it's it's like a legendary moment. He climbs back up, but the fact that he just when he goes through. With a chair. When the chair catches him and does the damage that Foley's face has never recovered from, um, it's uh, it's it's hard to describe for anyone who hasn't seen it, but when he goes off the top, down to the side, the entire crowd pops, and Jim Ross does that call. It's, my God! Oh, God! Right in that whole thing, and it's an, th- that's energy A. When he goes through the cage... It's a completely different type of energy because the monster pop that happened that nobody can remember that seeing this iconic moment is gone. And Jerry Lawler just squeaks, ha! Like just always says, <laughs> and, the, and the cage catches and the crowd goes, oh. And Jim Ross is like, that's it, call it. Stop the damn match. Like well, it has like a completely different vibe. And <laughs> keep fucking going. Lawler goes, that's it, he's dead. That's, that's it. Yeah, it's a yeah, dead yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, he's dead. According to McFoley, and this is the this is the thing that this would keep me up at night, and I hope it did for him a little bit because he earned this shit. Now he was autopilot on the way back up the cell. Yep. He gets it, mixes up with Undertaker. He's barely doing anything because he's he's fuck. He's just there at this point. Yeah. He's just just going through the motions. He didn't have enough energy and strength to get all the way up for the choke slam, so it was a very lackadaisical choke slam. If, according to McFoley, if he had gone up how he normally would, that was the plan to go up how he normally would have. Because this, according to him, I, I, this, it wasn't supposed to break. I always thought it was supposed to break. Yeah. It wasn't supposed to break. It was supposed to, he was supposed to get stuck. And he went through, and because he was too weak to go all the way up like he planned, his it saved his yeah, life. Because yeah, if he didn't, he would have he would have totally landed on his head. He'd have died. Yeah. Right yeah. there. Right there. Chokes him right on his head. Yeah. That shit, 
will keep a man up at night. That is some, we've all had experiences where something happens, we do something, and it's like a close call. And you're yep. just like, fuck. Ah. How did, wow. Man, I could have. I was gonna yeah. die there. Parallel universe that plays yeah. out way different. Way different. And that yeah. was that was his moment. I mean, he's had plenty of those, but that was his I moment. Mean, I mean, and then we we could talk. We literally could have spent this entire podcast talking about this match. I mean, this is also the match that has Terry Funk gets choke slam just to buy Mick Foley time out of his, his new shoes, balances, out of his goddamn white New Balances, <laughs> and they just when they come off, they never come back down, and they just redistribute to dads everywhere. <laughs> Uh, that was the birth yeah, of the I, white uh, New Balance. That was for the dad. birth yeah. of yeah, the yeah. white New Balance. I was listening to a, a Q and A from uh, Mick Foley, and and he said he was trying to figure out what, like, as he was trying to put the pieces back together, like after all the years of how much was blacked out in the middle, and he was trying to figure out what the exchange of words were between Terry Funk and the Undertaker. Yeah, and because they got in each other's face, and so Undertaker told Funk check if he's alive wow and so he's like down there and he's like you can see him touching his face and mick's like he was checking my pulse to see if i was alive and then he got back up and reported to the undertaker and then he got choked <laughs> choke slammed out of his shoes. Like you do. shoes and he's like the next thing i remember is i rolled this way and i'm like where the fuck did those shoes come from <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just new balances yeah just because he had no balance. idea what was happening no. So we're, we're at a point in the match here, right, where Mick goes through a table 20 feet off the air. Mick gets choke slammed, what, 12 feet yeah. about to the ring? All right. And then a fucking match breaks out after all of this yeah, happens. Then, then the match starts. Then the match yeah. actually Here's starts. Here's what gets me. There's actually enough wherewithal within Foley in respect for the Undertaker to where Mick gets heat. He actually builds up the heat in the match, and yet yeah. <laughs> Undertaker's never in super danger. But Mick has enough time to keep the Undertaker oh. down long enough. Undertaker was in deep fucking danger because yeah. he takes a fucking pile driver from Mick Foley, yeah. who has no fucking clue where he That's is or what point. he's doing. And as you said, was so hurt and so lack of energy that he couldn't get up on the fucking choke slam. How oh, he, he separated gonna... his shoulder and the... his cell phone yeah. too, yeah. And he's gonna fucking do a pile drive and and Mark Calloway, who in all of this Knows what's happening. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> give me that DDT. Now give me that pile driver right on my head. Just give me that pile driver that's, right now. That's that's the Undertaker though. He's like, I owe you one. One. Considering the bumps you've taken yeah. and the bump I know you're gonna take to finish this match, drop me on my head one time. <laughs> you get one. You get one. I, I. You know, there's so much you can say about this match, and this is this is the the the. And I feel like we're glossing over the Undertaker a little bit. Uh, because this match would not be what it is without the Undertaker's involvement. Absolutely. Uh, but back to McFoley, and look, this man, uh, again, if anybody who's not really familiar with his work really should become familiar with his work, uh, for this reason alone, uh, if you look at the biggest stars in wrestling history, history, like I'm talking like main event guys, guys who sold tickets. Uh, and and we, we'll, we'll even cut it a little bit. We'll say, like, you know, modern wrestling, modern era, last 30, 40 years. Mick Foley uh, does not look like a champion. No. At all. He, has n he does not have the body of a champion. No. He doesn't have the walk of a champion. He doesn't even have the body of a champion hot dog eater. Yeah. Like, he... No. And absolutely... I, I respect him. Yeah. He absolutely uh, is... If you, if you had a lineup of professional wrestlers and you saw him... You'd go, who the fuck is this guy? Who's that guy? But I'll tell you what, 
he is... And I've more and more, the more I go back and watch some of his old stuff that I didn't watch from WCW, for example, this Cactus Jack stuff, it's fucking great. He is one of the single most important professional wrestlers probably ever, period, yeah. Yeah. ever, like like across every generation uh, because of his contributions uh, and because he did it because he loved wrestling and he did it because he wanted a legacy, you know, and, and, and the last thing I, one of the last things I wrote was there will never be in our lifetime another Mick Foley. And that's probably a fucking good thing. Yes. We don't be. need another one. Yeah. At yeah, all. Af- after the match, uh, Vince went up to him and said, thank you for all you've done for this business. Don't ever fucking do that again. Yes. It's it's true, man. And I think it's the idea that Mick Foley is the very, the idea that anyone can do, achieve their dreams if they, if they believe hard he's enough. A, he's an everyman. You know? He's the ultimate everyman. I, because we had Dusty. We did. And we all could be Dusty. We could all be Dusty. Right. But Dusty, even like, and it's, I think, and no disrespect to the late, great Dusty Rhodes, if you will, but but I think Mick Foley on my echelon of importance for the history of wrestling, I put Mick Foley a few notches higher because here's the thing. We know what we know now. And that Mick, and that Dusty Rhodes had the benefit of booking territories yeah, when booking he was himself. the champion and. And booked himself. And politics when he wasn't the booker. Not to say that it was a negative thing, but had the ability to literally talk to Ted Turner and tell Ted this is what he wanted to do and be involved in some of these rooms. And still travel on Foley was never the booker. He was just the guy. And it was him connecting and doing that crazy shit, which is why Mick Foley is a, was a first ballot Hall of Famer. I still think to this day that Foley should, that Mick Foley is inducted to the Hall of Fame. I think Kat the Shack should have been inducted to the Hall of Fame. Dude Love should have been inducted to the Hall of Fame. Like, he should have been the first guy to have different gimmicks in there. Every one of his gimmicks is inducted, and, and he has a ring for every one of them. And, 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 and different people induct different That'd be people. Fantastic. That would have been, yeah. been incredible. Um, my great regret with Mick Foley is, because you got to think about what happens between now and in Royal Rumble 1999. This match makes him a made man. But it takes him and everybody else too long to realize it. Mm. Right? Because it doesn't happen until Survivor Series 98 when The Rock and Heap, available in the archives, yes. do their double turn, the second most successful double turn in wrestling history, and now he's a, a sympathetic babyface and Mr. Socko and all of this stuff. And I almost slipped into my Foley impression. Mr. Socko. <laughs> Mr. Socko. My great regret is that he still thought he had a price to pay. Still more stupid shit to do after this. To, because he, it, he hadn't realized that he had made it yet. So we got the absolute pummeling of a human brain at Royal Rumble 99. Ugh, yeah. We get the street fight with... Uh, Triple H at 2000, which is an excellent match, mm-hmm. but no one should take a pedigree on their face in the thumbtacks, right? We should have. Now, we got the post legendary status McFoley that made Randy Orton and made Edge. Let's mm-hmm. not forget about that. He oh put God. them on the map <clears throat> doing the stupid shit. But that's sprinkling stupid shit. That's not home matches. My only regret is that, that this the, the success that this match had for him. Did not catch on soon enough, as it did inevitably, but not soon enough, so that he could avoid doing that shit. Again, I think, I think there's an ignorance to this because, you know, this match goes through stages. You know, there's the off the top of the of the cell mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. There's the through the top of the cell stage, and then there's the thumb st- the thumbtack stage, where you know it's it's not like it's all this hasn't been enough, but we're gonna bring out a whole fucking bag of thumbtacks, 
and then he's going to get choke slammed onto the fucking thumbtacks. And just to make sure he has enough of them in himself, he's going to roll through the thumbtacks yep. just to kind of sell that. Well, before that, we get the one of the most iconic shots ever of him in the corner, face bloodied, tooth through the nose from the inside of the roof of, of his mouth. He's looking like so he's, he's smiling. Just, he's just smiling. Hell yeah. of an image. Yeah. Ugh. But the madness, and I love it. But the thing is, is that even later on in this pay-per-view, even after all of that, Mick Foley, in my opinion, is done for this pay-per-view. <laughs> it's done for the month. For, <laughs> for every Monday Night Raw that's about to follow. Mick's going to get a nice two or three months off here just to, you know... Get his body back to whatever it is his body was before this happened. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way Mick Foley is going to run out during the main event. Ten minutes later. Ten minutes later. It had to be ten minutes because they went long saving his life. Multiple times with EMTs. (laughs) He got less time to recuperate. Again, going back to time, it was nine minutes from a little over nine minutes, from the point in time that he was put through the table to when he was put through thumbtacks. My God. From, no, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was wrong about it. Nine minutes from choke slam through the cell to being dropped on tacks. And then 10 minutes later. So when you do that kind of shit, people start to disconnect the reality from the fiction. Yeah. Which I think is a reason, going to what you said, is why Mick Foley doesn't quite get it. He doesn't get there yet. He doesn't get there yet because no human should be able to get up from one of those things. Not all three of them. And then ten minutes later, run down. I mean, he may have thought he was going for a fucking Big Mac at that point in time. <laughs> or an Arfie's Beef and Cheddar, again, available in the archives. Mm. So, that I, I think that lends to it. Yeah, and in a day like today... if. <clears throat> Like, for example, recently Cody Rhodes decided to work a Hell on a Cell match with a horrifying injury. And within an hour, everyone in the world knew about Cody Rhodes' horrifying injury and the performance he put on after that. But this is not 2022. This is not 2018. Social media was not a thing. was not a thing. <clears throat> we had to wait for the word of mouth. And the replays on Raw, which they didn't show clips, they showed stills. Mm-hmm. They didn't show That's clips well, because this. people could still download, could still oh, order well, the pay per view on Tuesday. And you had to wait six months for the VHS to come out to start showing people. So it took that long for the realism to really affect. Can you <coughs> imagine me. if Twitter was a thing when that happened? Oh man, can you imagine the attitude era with the Twitter? <laughs> Hashtag puppies! Ha ha! Golly. <laughs> None of those wrestlers would be allowed on television today if that was the case. Oh, my God. Could you just imagine DX on, on like, their fucking TikTok? Uh, you know who I would say? No, just not to cut, cut into you here, but do you know who is exactly like they are today? Like you would imagine they would have been in the Attitude Era? I invite everyone to go on Instagram and follow The Godfather on Instagram. <laughs> because that man... It took me years to realize that's not a gimmick. No, he's, he's that more, man just smokes just weed and is around beautiful women and says terrible things. He owns a just, nightclub. He does. Just think about all the shit that we get a kick out of just following Marty Janetti. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, if you want a Facebook follow, because he doesn't have any other social media, it's the white trashiest thing I could ever possibly tell you to do. Dear sweet listener, go follow Marty Janetti. And here's the thing. When we were talking earlier about SummerSlam uh, in, the, in the previous time... Uh, 
and the street profits and all that other stuff. I'm thinking, yeah, Montez Ford is the Shawn Michaels and Angelo Dawkins is the Marty Jannetty. But like, man, I just can't. I hope Angelo Dawkins doesn't fold. Go full Jannetty. You don't want to go full Jannetty. You don't want to go full Jannetty. Never. No. No. Especially Jannetty. But um, I mean, he goes out saying legends remain. Mick Foley in the most iconic performance that maybe any human being has ever done their body in front of live people and and loses the Hell in a Cell match. But yeah. wins. But everything. wins wins everything else afterwards. Yeah, and you it, think about the, the pain tolerance that this dude has. And as he's getting stretchered out a second time, he stops them and says, Is this the first time I was on a stretcher? And they're like, No. And he's like I don't want these people to see me on a stretcher twice. Damn right. That's and he gets bad, off man. the stretcher. Bad, they carry him to the back. They lay him on a table. They start stitching his mouth back together. And then he comes out five minutes later. <laughs> because like, there's the one more match. We got the main event. One. Now, and he's a pro. And someone may or may not get caught on fire. That's the whole thing. It's like, how do you follow that? Well, someone they might burn. Light, they needed to light somebody on fire. Yeah, like, that's to follow how you follow that. that. You know, that's a good point. You don't not like, you don't kill a man. Four multiple times, time. multiple times, and then not light somebody's ass on fire. It's incredible. It's incredible. But the main event of the evening for the WWF Championship, Stone Cold Steve Austin, rocking a wicked staff infection in his yep. elbow, by the way. Everybody's beat up on the yeah, show. Undertaker's a broken gnarly. foot. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Bad. It's crazy. Going against, go, we didn't even mention Taker's broken foot. Going against Kane, covered head to toe in cloth. In a first blood match where if Kane loses, he will burn himself alive. Self-immolation. How do you even mention Undertaker having a broken foot after all that? It's like, that's like the worst. It's like, oh my God, did you see what happened to Mick Foley? Well, Undertaker had a Listen, broken foot. When he dropped know? down in the, K, in the cell, and you see, that's the only time he sells it. Because he drops, what is it, 12 feet down? Yeah. Yeah. And bam, kicks it a little bit. Well, and then he's good. Yeah. Yo, that shit had to hurt like a motherfucker. <laughs> well, he, he drops down, and you could see, and I'm like, first of all, even if you had a healthy foot, that's an awkward landing on your ankle. As okay, big you're as he a 300 is? pound dude, right? It's an awkward. There's times where, like, uh, you know, like you're standing on the edge of a stage or a double step, and we at our age, and the antenna is younger than us now, but you're like, uh, <laughs> you, you start like thinking about it, and as in that split second, when you're going two feet, and your body hasn't hit that thing, your mind starts going, I'm too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> and time slows down, and you land, and you're like, oh, good. And you're like, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. And then you do it again, and then inevitably, I'm, one of us is going to pay for it really yeah. bad. Right? That's, your, that's your Danny Glover moment. That's the, my uh, that, 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 that amazing moment where you realize your body is still moving when it shouldn't be anymore. Yep. It's like, oh, I fucked up. Yeah. Nope, it's not. It's it's not good. But here we are in the main event, and only Mick Foley in that Hell in a Cell performance could take Steve Austin at the height of the Attitude Era in a, in a surefire Vince McMahon blood feud style gimmick and make it uh, no one cares. Like, no. you, what, no what do you... No one cares until... Mick Foley comes back. Comes out. back out, and the and guy's he like, "It's a fucking stunner." He does <laughs> for all this trouble. He's like, "You go first, stitches, Mick." Bam, and that bam. puts him down. <laughs> hey, Jesus Christ, man! Um, I, I wrote Jesus, Mick. <laughs> like when I saw him, like I fucking forgot he showed up. What the fuck, man? I, I feel like the first blood match should never even have happened because, like, Mick bled first, and they should have just gave him the fucking the fucking belt at that point. They put the belt on him and pushed him out but, of the arena. But this, was, this is how great the Attitude Era was, because it's a first blood match where Stone Cold is clearly cut open oh, in the first, five like, minutes into yeah, the match. The first right, yeah. on his yeah. Nick's all yeah. over him, yeah. And then, you know, the fucking commentators have to, like, clarify, well, that's not exactly the first blood we're talking about. <laughs> 
It's like so. So, on paper, on paper, it makes sense. You have a guy covered that's head not, to toe. That's not the blood we're talking. <laughs> that back blood. That isn't as good as that's face not blood. It. That's not. That's, that's not. There's yeah. not the droids you're fucking looking for, man. Is back bleeding? No, that's not. That's not quite the blood we meant when we. <laughs> Yeah, we meant second blood, motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, it, Pat Patterson. Sorry. No, 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 not that blood. Not, not that, that blood. Not we that. No, different type no. of blood. In retrospect, oh a God. smart person in the headset. If Vince wasn't out there, he could have been like Say that they couldn't guarantee that that's not still Mick Foley's blood laying around in the ring, right? And then like, okay, so well, oh. Jim Ross like, oh, we don't know whose blood it is. Could be Austin. Could be Fuck the Undertaker. That's fine, right? But the idea on paper. Sounds great. Okay, first blood match. How do we stack the deck against the baby face? We have the baby. We have the the heel covered head to toe except for one hand in leather and and cloth, going against a baby face who's in black tidy whities and no hair and his entire body is exposed in a first blood match. What could go wrong? Oh, by the way, the previous match has busted uh, thumbtacks and. Uh, twist ties. I don't know if we've ever seen what a, what a, when you cut those little zip ties like, but they're sharp. They can catch it. They catch it pretty good, right? And they're all over the ring. Like, let's let the bald guy bump around for ten minutes. That's gonna like, go fine. Like, hey, remember that last match? It was a hell in a cell. What if we just lower Bring that and down. raise that for no reason? That's yeah, so we don't know who's controlling it. It's just going up and down. Not all the way down. Just most of the way yeah, down. Can't Part of the way down. With the fucking cell. Yeah, yeah and. <laughs> I never thought I would I would ever see Noah get very excited to talk about the consistency of a broken twisty tie. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there. We I mean, there's there's a, there's a, first of all, what's that whole adage? If it if it moves, and it shouldn't. If, if it moves and it shouldn't, then duct tape. If it doesn't move and it should, WD forty. Well, in the middle is zip ties. That's when you don't know what the fuck you're doing, and you just strap <laughs> a bunch of zip ties on, and then you gotta cut. And you realize that didn't work. See my wife's garden Until behind you us. Gotta, and you just gotta, gotta cut, cut them out. Them. Yeah, and gotta, man, that's a bitch. Then they're like, nope, we're not going anywhere now. It's like, where, the, where, is, where is that engineering degree? But the uh, well, here we are in the main event, and it basically is cheeky shenanigans. Until it is a very cleverly worded main event. Because you have to think, this is still in an era where Vince McMahon liked to do that thing called long-term booking. And so he's like, I'm going to use this to get to, well, what's our next big, big, big pay-per-view? SummerSlam. Who do I want to be the main event of SummerSlam? Austin and The Undertaker. Well, shit, how do I get there? The Undertaker, aiming for Mick Foley, hits Steve Austin, busts him open, First blood, and now we're off to the races. Now there's a there's a new champion, and no one has to be lit on fire, and they got a personal feud. It's a genius idea. It just unfortunately happened to fucking follow the most infamous match that happened during the Attitude Era, and possibly ever. I could just see Steve Austin sitting back, a gorilla, and he's and because you know all the boys are huddled around monitors watching this yeah. shit. He's doing his warm ups, trying and not could, to be. He's swinging his arm, trying not to beat his wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably. Um, you, you said that so casually. <laughs> I can just see, I can hear him going, oh, hell. Welcome like, to just, season two. Like, just, oh, welcome God. to season two. Ain't nobody saying, fuck you. <laughs> I can just imagine, like, you're Steve Austin, the biggest star in the business. Period. Without question, right? And you're, like, setting up for this, a big match. First blood against a big monster like Kane. And then, fuck, you're watching this shit happen. And you're just probably sitting there going, oh, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, there's no way it's out there. And you're looking at Pat Patterson. And you're, you're like, look, and Pat's like, hey, I don't know. <laughs> and well, you're, look, you're looking at 
Kane, Kane's like, uh, and, I don't know what the fuck we're gonna do about this. <laughs> I am, I am not going to light myself on fire. No, that's like, it's like that's not where the doing com- it. That's oh, where I, I see Bruce Prichard with a gallon of gas. Like, comes up. He's like, how much of your suit can we soak in this before you go out there? <laughs> that's not gonna fuck you up too bad with the fumes. That you'll be able no. to work this match, <laughs> and we'll casually set part of you on fire, but we'll have you know fire extinguishers nearby. Yeah, no, there, there's, there's no amount. Like, there's no amount of chin locks and drop kicks to <laughs> be able to follow the hell in a cell match, right? So, so they did what they did. They did the standard attitude era brawl to the aisle way and did all that shit. Get back Dude, in the ring. None of it mattered. And, and then <laughs> they did that, which was standard for Austin. Every match did that, right? And then as soon as they get to the ring, all right, now you get to the point, and they just dropped the cell, and they got to that last seven minutes. I think the only reason they ever did the brawl to the aisleway was to just give Mick Foley enough time to get stapled back together that, for the super glue to set that his bones, just so they can get him out there. But just trot his ass out there. Yeah, you had all four basically main eventers at, of WWE involved at the end of that match. Yep. Yeah, nope. at that time there were just really four: Kane, nope. Undertaker, Stone Cold, and Mick. You wouldn't make any more until Survivor Series, right? Yep. Until Survivor Series, literally every main event was some combination of those guys. Yep. All the way up until then, um, and then then The Rock would burst onto the scene, and there we go. And then forever it shall be uh, written in stone. But yeah, there there was a great closing snapshot from that pay per view of Austin all bloody and Vince just watching. Yeah, and it was all for naught because he won the belt back the next night. Got it. Night yeah. Raw. We were watching that Raw, and it's just like, oh, all right. Well, I guess. <laughs> well, you saw Kane. You pop because yeah. he boom, boom, and he drops him. Yeah. But you know, like they because they realize we're how, still, in no disrespect to Glenn Jacobs, but in 1998 he wasn't quite ready to be the top heel. Like, oh, no. so we now have a top heel as the WWE champion at the hottest time we've ever had, and a champion who can't talk. Yeah, he's not he. You're not going to let Paul Bear fucking talk. No, you can't have him sell and, yeah. and show weakness. So you just got to get the belt off of him and send him off into the nether. to, to And then let's get let's get Austin. That's our moneymaker. There you go, Kane. Enjoy your 24-hour WWE title. Welcome to the club. Who would have thought that the dentist would become heavyweight champion? No, Not me. Fuck Irwin. dentists. Multiple times. I don't care how many dentists listen to this podcast. Yeah. Fuck you. Fuck Use you. power tools in people's mouths. You're like, oh my god, why are you bleeding? Like, why the fuck do you think I'm bleeding? You're torturing people. Jesus fucking Christ. Smoke's coming out of your mouth and I've got the fucking problem. Fuck you. Uh, you touched a fucking nerve there. It's, it's a, yeah. They literally did. did as well. And they did as well. He does not like the dentist. Oh, trust well, we hope you feel stronger about the show than you do than Dave does about the dentist. But, guys, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up in the future. I don't want to tell anybody what we've got coming up. What? What were we drinking tonight? Oh, we didn't even do that. Season two. Wild card, bitches. Fuck you. <laughs> well, when we started, we were all drinking a lemon refresher lemon shandy from Pool, Full Pint Beer. 5.9% alcohol. Anybody have anything uh, anything else to add to it? It's really refreshing. It's, it's really very good. refreshing. And it's a nice uh, nice summer beer. It yeah. was a nice nice warm weather. It was swampy when we first started going. Oof. It's cooled off, but it was it was quite muggy. Uh, and then after that, I shifted into a temporary Angry Orchard, Orchard Hard Cider Rosé because I didn't want to drink too much alcohol until we talked about the main event. And then Jafar decided, fuck that, and handed me a, here we go, Bombs and Pop Space Tart Shake Beer. I'm going to lift my glasses up like an old man. Bomb Pop inspired Tart Shake Ale brewed with lemon, lime, raspberry, and cherry purees, milk, sugar, and vanilla bean. Unfiltered. Unpasteurized. Keep cold. Drink fast. 
drink fresh. Uh, it's excellent. It does literally taste like a like like a liquid bomb pop. It's oh, pretty man. fucking awesome. That's crazy. It's yeah. Wicked. And what are you drinking on yeah, your other one? Uh, and then the other one that I'm drinking, it's called USA Baby. Woo! Hey. Uh, it's a hazy IPA from Necromancer, which is a up and coming brewery here in Pittsburgh. Cool. You were just there, weren't you? Like recently? I was. Well, we're here. We were there, and we're gonna be here because it's season two, baby. When are we talking about vaginas? Always. In every oh. word, in every sunset, in oh. every child's smile. Mm. Vaginas. Mm. And we hope that you continue to bring your A game or your V game uh, with us each and every week. Gentlemen, any lasting impressions? King of the Ring 98, pretty important show in the history of wrestling, is it not? Pretty damn important. Well, yeah, one and, of the most important. I mean, it's iconic. Through and through, it's iconic. Mm-hmm. And it's iconic because of one match. It's a one not match because show. because of the whole pay-per-view. The Rock obviously. versus Dan Severn. Danny Severn. That's a five-star yeah. match. Danny Severn versus Mike Bay. Yeah. Hashtag Danny Severn. Uh, Let's not make that trend. He'll find no. us. <laughs> yeah. He will. He'll show up with that one sweaty arm cut off sweatshirt. Be great. If they did a Where Are They Now of Danny Severn and he looks exactly the fucking same, <laughs> I have, like I, he has not aged at all. No he's way still he wearing doesn't. the same he's sweatshirt. He's like a school cafeteria worker. He's just yeah. there. He's serving sloppy Joes. One day they'll find him and they'll think he's just sleeping or, or, or staring off, and then no one, will, no one will have the courage to touch him and shake him to see if he's still with us. Oh, <laughs> uh, Danny. Well,. We hope you're still with us next week as we get this still popping. Gentlemen, I'll see you then. Yes, see you there. Thanks for tuning Season in. Season two, ladies and gentlemen, we're fucking back. <clears throat> <clears throat> Nothing good. <laughs>